So my friends, we hear today this parable of the vineyard, uh, the vineyard owner uh, in the gospel, which is similar to the one that we hear from the prophet Isaiah in our first reading. Now, context here is very important because this scene takes place in Jerusalem, either on Palm Sunday or on Monday of Holy Week. So as we're reading through the Gospel of Matthew in our Sunday Mass readings, we've now arrived at Holy Week. And everything that we're going to hear between now and the beginning of Advent, uh, right around Thanksgiving time, is going to be happening all within that last week of our Lord's life, which makes it all the more um, kind of difficult uh, that this is his encounter now, the first encounter we have with the chief priests, right? Here we have, like, this is, Jesus has had the Pharisees, he's had the local kind of synagogue leaders and other, well, now he's in Jerusalem, and it's the chief priests, right? These are the religious leaders of all of Judaism, and they are now the ones that are um, there, and he's, he's addressing them with this parable of the vineyard owner, which again, they all would have known because everyone knew Isaiah 5, right? This is Isaiah, this is the vineyard. And so when they hear, like, hear a parable, a man built a vineyard, planted a vineyard, put a hedge around it. Like, they know, oh, that's just Isaiah. Like, he's giving a, he's riffing on Isaiah here. Okay, um, now, a little furthermore, we maybe don't hear it in the same way we think of vineyard, like, nice. Let's go to Martha's Vineyard for the weekend or something, right? Um, what does a vineyard produce? What, what do we have a vineyard for? Well, particularly for grapes. And what do we get with grapes? I like grapes. Like, I, I like, I have some green grapes. See those green grapes? Like, grapes are a nice snack when you're trying to be on a diet, no matter how much Father G tries to ruin it for me. Uh, when you're on a, like, grapes are a good snack. But what do you get that's even better from grapes? Wine. Right? And particularly living in a society where drinking water is not as sterile. Like, you drink wine. Wine is what you drink. Wine is the only kind of flavored drink you have. Uh, and so, the, here we have the vineyard. And what is the produce of the vineyard? Well, it's grapes, but also in the form of wine. So here's a guy. He builds a vineyard, puts a hedge around it, dug a wine press, built a tower leased it to tenants, went away, and he, at a certain point, says, okay, like, the bottles should be coming by now, right? Like, let's get the produce. I built the vineyard, I gave it to you, I want my wine. Uh, This is what it should produce. Now, we can read this parable in different ways, namely that maybe the vineyard uh, tenants were greedy, and so they wanted to keep it for themselves. But I think maybe a, a... better, different reading for this morning is maybe there was no produce. Like, maybe they weren't good tenants. And so, he's sending for the wine, and they don't have anything. They, they've got nothing. They, they have squandered the time. They haven't taken care of what's been entrusted to them. And so there's actually, there's no fruit to give, because they, they haven't used their time well. Wine is meant to give life, and it's meant to give joy. And when someone comes looking for life and joy, and there's no fruit to give, um, how, how depressing is that? Well, what does Isaiah tell us? 
The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. We are the new Israel. So we, we are the vineyard of the Lord of hosts. And from the church is meant to be brought forth the joy and the life for the world. What's the title of Pope Francis's first major document he released under his own name? The joy of the gospel. The joy of the gospel. Wine brings joy and it brings life. And we as the church are meant to give life and joy to the whole world. But what if, maybe because we are not living our tenanthood well, we don't have that joy or that life. And people come looking for joy in our community and they just find frowns. Now, that's not the case with our community. I really have to say, like, we, we are, we at St. Francis and all of our joint parishes, St. Joe's, St. Jerome, we really actively try to be a warm and welcoming community and a joyful community. Some of our college students have commented that they like coming to our events because people are so joyful, because we have joy. And that's what we should have in the church. We should have the joy, and we should be spreading the joy of the gospel. But sometimes we fail at that. And sometimes through our own sinfulness, our own grumpiness, our own temperament, we're not joyful. And we could be grumps. And there's not that fruit. And our, we're not producing fruit. And then the worst thing we could do in that situation is to try to cover it up. To just pretend like everything's fine. The master sends his servants to start collecting the wine. And instead of saying, we had a bad year, like we're going to try to do better, do you have any tips? They seized the servants. One they beat. Another they killed. A third they stoned. He sent more servants to them, even more numerous, and they treated them in the same way. They doubled down on their errors. And sometimes we, and the church, in particular the church in New England, we can double down on things that don't work. What's Einstein's definition of insanity that you've all heard, right? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. If we do the same thing in our churches over and over again and people stop, still don't come to church and they still leave, right? But we're just going to keep doing it over and over again because we're invested, we're pot committed. It's the sunk cost fallacy. Well, we've done it this way so many times, yeah. But has it ever worked before? No. Oh, let's just do it again, right? We'll just do the same thing. I just want to uh, say a a moment of particular pride uh, and joy and celebration for our community was last weekend when we had our confirmation. Uh, And most parish confirmation classes uh, across maybe the United States, at least across New England, you're going to go, you're going to just check your boxes, you don't need to pay attention, It'll be a painless hour a week. You get confirmed. And then maybe we'll see you again when you get married. Right? Like that. And that is just the expected way. And let me tell you, from a a pastor's standpoint, 
And from a volunteer standpoint, that's the easiest way to do it, right? You don't really have to get involved. You don't really have to care. The kids aren't going to come back afterwards anyway. Um, and, and yeah, we can do that. Well, this year in our parish, through the dedication of many volunteers, um, we've, we revamped our confirmation program. And it took a lot of effort. It took a lot of dedication. Our volunteers were putting in an extra two or three hours a week in addition to the class to be able to provide a quality program. Our students were just confirmed by Archbishop Blair uh, last weekend, and it was a joyful celebration. And look, 8 o'clock the weekend after, we got three of them back in church. Like, how awesome is that, right? We're not going to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. We're going to do something different. We're going to reinvest. And where we've gone wrong, we're going to make changes. We can't just keep preserving what we've always done that way. One of the worst things anyone could say to me about why we should be doing something in our parish is, well, we've always done it that way. Like, that's the, that is a guaranteed, like, well, we're not going to do that, right? We've always done it that way. No, you know, because we've always done it that way. And I can show you the numbers from October counts over the last 20 or 30 years of the huge number of people that don't come to church anymore. We need to be willing to change. Where we've gone wrong, where we haven't been welcoming, where we haven't been actually reaching out to new people, well, we have to be willing to change that. We have to be willing to say, yeah, maybe certain people in my family, maybe certain of my friends don't come to church anymore because I stopped inviting them, because I stopped caring. Okay, well, you know what? We could change today. We could change right now. Maybe that one time I was standing in the back after Mass and I was in a rush and someone wanted to talk to me and I said, no, no, I'm too busy now, and they stopped coming to church. Well, I need to repent of that. And I need to go to confession, right? For those times, we need to be willing to change. We don't double down on what we do wrong, hoping that we're going to get some kind of different response. Rather, we need to be willing to change. And so, uh, this is what our Lord calls us to today. We've been given. We have been entrusted. We're the tenants. This is the vineyard of the Lord. And it should be giving joy and life to the entire world. And so let's recommit today to being that joyful, life-giving community. Let's recommit to being creative and daring in trying new things. And the things that we've just done because they're easier, convenient, but they've never worked, let's be daring and willing to say, let's try something new. We'll invest in something new and different because we want to bring that life and joy to the entire world. This is what our Lord calls us to. So my friends, let's ask our Lord for that grace to really hear his message today, to realize the great vineyard with which we've been entrusted and to be committed to bearing fruit that brings joy in life for the entire world.